Before we get into the show, a quick reminder to check out and subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Each week, he's doing deep dives into breweries, talking with journalists covering the beer space, and unpacking a lot of what makes the beer industry so interesting. Find the Beer Edge podcast wherever you download shows. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. From creating a gold medal winning Blondale to working with barrels, addressing misogyny in the beer industry, and the importance of snacks, Bess Doherty, a brewer at Ratio Beer Works in Denver, is my guest today. And you're going to want to stick around until the end. But first, I'm happy to tell you to check out BeerEdge.com for articles to sign up for the newsletter and more. And you should also head over to the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page and follow TW Rauk Beer on Twitter and Instagram for all kinds of smoked beer goodness. And we're able to bring you this show every week thanks to these sponsors, including NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. And the best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mash viscosity for better wart separation and increasing brewhouse efficiency. Ultraflow Max from Novozymes helps you achieve both. It's time to brew with enzymes, increase your brew house efficiency, and achieve faster filtration today with Ultraflow Max. Order a free sample today at brewingwithenzymes.com slash beerenge. Best Doherty has one of the best social media accounts in the beer space these days, mostly because it doesn't largely focus on beer. With her Carhartt overalls, she's been using the front pocket to hold snacks. From cookies and chips to ice cream bars and tater tots, the snack pocket is a quirky escape from reality that celebrates between meal noshes. She's been brewing for a decade now, starting off at Wincoop, the venerable Denver brewery, before moving on to the head brewer position at the Grateful Gnome, and then more recently landing amid the pandemic at Ratio Beer Works. There, she's part of a brewing team that regularly rotates jobs. It's not just days on the brew deck or in the cellar. And when I spoke to her last week, she had just finished keg washing for the day and was sitting on the brewery's patio with a Mexican lager. Earlier this year, the brewery took gold for the Golden slash Blondale category at the Great American Beer Festival. And it's a style that isn't often thought of all that much these days, but remains important to craft beer history as well as education. Coming off the high of a big win, Bess said she quickly had to fight back against the pervasive misogyny that exists in part of the beer industry. She's been vocal and active in the fight to bring equality and better understanding to fellow professionals and consumers alike. And we're going to get into all of that. But we're going to start off on the patio at Ratio with a lager and being done cleaning kegs. Here's our conversation. Just before we started recording, you mentioned that you are sitting outside at the patio at the tap room having a beer in the middle of the day, which is not a bad way to spend a few hours. Uh Um, Not that the show is, (laughs) is two hours long. What's in your glass right now? Uh, right now, I'm drinking Cityscapes, which is our Mexican lager. What do you like about it? Um, it's just crisp and refreshing, and we use a good amount of like flaked corn in there, and I just love that flavor that the corn imparts in my lagers. Unfortunately, you- we don't have limes, but, you know... <laughs> I, that just sounds like a taproom oversight. Like somebody should be in, in trouble for that. Yeah. Or you should have lime flavored puree or syrups or something like a lot oh, of other shit. brewers. Good call. We do have <laughs> lime flavoring. <laughs> do, you, do you actually have lime flavoring at the brewery right now? Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we do um, a special beer for one of our draft accounts. We make their house beer for them. And it's a light ale with lime and a little bit of orange essence. It's delicious. And their tacos are fantastic. 
Well, see, I'm just I'm helping you out already, and I I I, didn't, <laughs> I I was just trying to make a joke, and I love that you just have it in the back there. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> yeah. That's like all these stout breweries where you know next to the coffee machine, then you can just walk down to the lactose supply, and you don't even need to have fresh milk in anymore. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so ratio. Uh, you've been there for a little while now yeah. and I dig this sort of brewing model that they have where you're telling me everybody does everything in, in, in the yeah. brew house. Yeah. What's appealing about that? Because I, I know, you know, there's some folks who, you know, want to come up and they want to, um, you know, they want to grow and they want to get better titles and more responsibility or more prestige or something like that. But when it sort of, you know, sounds like the communist um, you know, <laughs> working plan, um, there's got to, I mean, you knew that going into this. So like, what was yeah. the, what was the appeal to you as a brewer who had been at you know a couple of other places beforehand? Um, I personally just love this model. Uh, just cross training everybody. It, I feel like makes the staff um, just more well-rounded. Like obviously when people like take vacations or are sick, it's like not a super crunch, crazy situation because everyone can do everything. And then like personally, just not doing the same thing day in and day out. Like, you know, yesterday I got to brew beer and today I get to like wash kegs and fill kegs. And it's just, it keeps, the job from getting monotonous because especially in a production brewery definitely could get there very quickly i think but i mean going back and washing kegs though i mean that i i i don't know how many brewers i've talked to who are like the day that they know that they never have to do that again is one of their happiest but is there is there appeal to go backwards and i'm not or not as necessarily backwards but to like do stuff that i don't know you did at the beginning of your career Honestly, like keg washing days are still one of my favorites and I've been doing this almost a decade. Um, I just, I mean, every part of the brewing process and packaging process is so insanely important, like making sure the cleanings are making sure your chemicals are being dosed properly. Um, And I just, I, I think if brewers get to the point where they think something like keg washing is beneath them, they're probably not going to be a cool person to work with or be around because, I mean, that's just part of the job. You do everything that needs to get done to get the beer in its best shape and form to the consumer. And anyone who's not willing to do any step in that process you know, I just, I, I don't have time for people like that. And I hope I never become a person like that. I love that perspective. That's like, I hadn't thought about it that way, but now I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm rethinking all of the conversations I've had about keg washing in the past. All right. You just said though, that it's one of your favorite things to do. Um, all right. How, why? Like the Um, specific act of keg washing specific act of keg washing is one of those that's the first time i've asked this question on this show but yeah that's great um it's just one of those things where you get to go into autopilot mode and it's almost like meditation for me like i don't have to be like super involved in a process it's just like tap the kegs, flip the valves, hit the start button, take them off, rinse, repeat kind of thing. And it just, it's one of the only times where I just get to be more inside my own head and be reflective with my thoughts and stuff. So like, I I view like keg washing or like hand loading the canning line or hand labeling cans, all those things are to me, like just my meditation time in life. So I really enjoy them. I dig that because I mean, it, it can be hard to find those moments uh, like at work during the day. I mean, I know we talk a lot about yeah. mental health and the importance of it, but finding it during the middle of your day um, mm-hmm. while you're doing something, do, do you find that that, I don't know, helps in other arenas, like helps in like, like helps the rest of your day along? I think so. Um, you know, like I, 
I do just kind of treat it as a meditation where I can like go over, like if there's something else going on in like my personal life or something, it gives me time to just think and process those things. Um, and just, you know, especially if you got one of those like seven hours of keg washing, that's a lot of time to think through and work through a ton of like interpersonal things. Um, and, and sometimes I do just like think about work instead of personal and just like how we can improve different processes or like different styles I want to brew and things like that. But I try and use it as my like just personal meditation time because like I don't live alone. I'm constantly either at work or at home or around other people. And so finding any of that time to just have the self-reflection and the like in my head alone time. That makes sense. It's what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So if that's one of your favorite, is there is there something on the the other end of uh, the other end of that stick that is not uh, not as much fun? Um, let's see. A few of my least favorite things. I hate trying to come up with beer names. I'm just terrible at it. Like the last brewery I worked at when I was in charge, I was the head brewer there for about four years. Um, and it was things like Blondale, IPA, IPA number two, Kale Ale. Like I just don't give a crap about naming beers and especially with all the cease and desist flying around the industry and stuff. I would rather spend my creative time on the actual recipes. Yeah. Um, and let's see. I, I don't like every once in a while we have to jump kegs, which is like pulling beer out of the half barrel yeah. and transferring it into like a six and super easy and quick to do. But for some reason, I just really hate it. So I always put it off till the end of the day. <laughs> I don't like it gets done. Yeah. I'm just not going to be happy about But it's it, just hanging so. over your head until, uh-huh. until it, yeah, yeah, until it's, it's time to, to log out for the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, the fact that you guys are kegging beer at all right now sort of shows that the, the world is opening up a little bit more again these days, right? Because, I mean, kegs were yeah. just kind of sitting stagnant for for almost a year, if not more. Yeah. Um, I mean, fortunately, ratio has all had a really solid footprint around town as far as draft goes so with places opening back up that's definitely picked up but they also early early in the pandemic got a little gosling canning line and started packaging a few of their core brands and the packaged canned beers has just taken off like we've had record setting outside sales months uh, i think like three months in a row like july june july august so like, that's incredible yeah yeah we, coming out the other side well hopefully there's not another lockdown but yeah co- going through the last 18 months and being able to be more successful than you ever have been is just spectacular and so cool to be a part of a team and at a place where you know they the ownership had that forethought and foresight and pivoted when necessary instead of just kind of waiting things out to see what would happen it was just decisive action very early on and that i think helped save this brand for sure or just keep it thriving keep it going yeah um so in wearing all the different hats or sharing the, the 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 brewery load um uh i know online you'll sometimes refer to yourself as a barrel troll and um, I, I love the I love talking with with brewers about cellaring, and yeah. you know, and and sort of the the critical importance of it because when it when it comes to visiting a brewery, you know, consumers can see shiny stainless or they can see um, uh, wood and barrels and and and, and stuff like that, um, but they're not necessarily thinking about how it's maintained. They're they, oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, of going right to the final end product. You know, oh, what's it going to taste like? Um, but there's so much that goes into, you know, tending to the barrels. Um, yeah. Can can you sort of talk about how you approach that and 
I don't know what those days are like and what you're doing to make sure that when it, when it's finally time to package it, if kegs or cans or whatever, um, that it's as good as it can be. Um. Yeah. I mean, cellar cellar work is just. I mean, honestly, I love it. I love my brew days, but just how on top of your process you have to be in the cellar because once you hit cold side, that's when everything can go wrong. On a brew day, it tends to be like, if things go wrong, you can make adjustments along the way to like hit your final gravities and things like that. But as far as cellar work goes, you just have to be so on top of your game at all points to ensure that nothing bad happens to that beer. Um, and I just, I like how how meticulous you have to be and I like the smell of peroxyacetic acid. So like, that's cool when we get to use that. <laughs> um, what, what is, what is the aroma of that? What is the smell of that? Uh, it kind of burns your nostrils. It's like a chemical burn, but in a very like weirdly comforting way to me. I don't okay. know. Yeah. But like, it's one of those chemicals. Like if you spill it, you'll have to like clear out the bar restaurant. Cause it will people but it's just okay. kind of burning it'll, it'll like, bring it'll bring the fire it'll bring the fire yeah. department yeah like it's not like gasoline but that would be the closest i that like common okay. folk would know that smell it's just that weird like you know you shouldn't like it but you do <laughs> I so blue as a kid yeah yeah uh -huh, uh -huh. um <laughs> yeah and then like the barrel troll name i actually took when I was still working at Wing Coop years ago. Um, I got put in charge of the barrel, like actual wooden barrel program there. Yeah. Uh, and essentially was given a blank check to buy all the barrels I want. I got to like make specific recipes for each round of barrels and stuff. It was really cool. And I loved it so much. I love working with wood. But at that time too, the barrel room was like in the dark weird corner of the basement in that yeah. like, 1820s building and so i just like spend a lot of time in this dark creepy basement room with my barrels and that's when i became the barrel troll and it's just stuck yeah. with me because i love it because it also translates like a barrel is the measurement for a volume of beer so yeah. i'm still working with barrels you know it's <laughs> just, just kind of different yeah yeah I've been talking about wood a lot, a lot recently in barrels on the show um, and everybody has their own approach and you know what they're looking for and what speaks to them as a brewer and you know recipes and et cetera et cetera when you had the the blank slate at, at, at Wincoop of all places you know a, a yeah. venerable institution um, what were you what appealed to you as a brewer like what what were you trying to bring in and then what were you trying to put in them? Um, so part of it was, um, I like the challenge because once you like wood is just, it's crapshoot. Um, and especially trying to get clean beer out, like clean barrel aged beer, it's a lot more challenging than like a sour barrel aged beer. Um, so I enjoyed that challenge. I also was good friends with the one of the original distillers at Law's Whiskey House, also here in Denver. Yeah. And just having that years-long friendship and relationship, I was able to get really cool barrels from them and, like, super fresh. Um, like there's one time the barrels went from full of whiskey to full of beer in less than 16 hours. Like, we just had our timing perfect. Oh. It was beautiful. Um, and I, I like the challenge of also pushing the idea of what people think barrel aged beer should taste like um i'm i'm a huge fan of this dirty little word called balance in my mm -hmm. beer <laughs> and uh so i would always you know monthly tasting of the barrels especially with the super fresh ones because i was able to pull the flavor that i was looking for sometimes it was those three months from those barrels and i so often had people tell me like co-workers my mom um a bunch of customers told me that they 
don't typically like barrel-aged beers, but the stuff I was doing there was in such a different way because it wasn't aggressively barrel-aged that people were who thought they didn't like barrel-aged beers were really enjoying them. So Okay. Can, can can you go look just a little bit deeper on balance though and what that means for you in a barrel aged beer because like I, I, balance for a long time always meant you know malt versus hops which yeah. you know I, I always was frustrated by because it didn't account for water or yeast as well and like a four way balance I always thought was you know better than a than than a two way but you know that's what something like an IPA or you know lager or or whatever like when you add that fifth ingredient of wood in there what what works balance wise for you so for me with the barrel aging the balance comes from a combination of the base recipe and what beer that's why it was so cool that i was able to make specific beers four different rounds of barrels that we got because approximately six of these wooden barrels would fit a 10 barrel batch of beer which was we had like half size fermenters at Wincoop. It was a 20 barrel system, but I could easily do a 10 barrel of a bigger beer. And being able to like develop recipes specifically for like, if I'm getting a round of rye whiskey barrels instead of bourbon, I'm not gonna put the same beer in both typically because I want the beer catered to that type of whiskey. And then the balance for me comes in that everything you're extracting from the barrel should be a complement to the beer and not overpowering it. Like the the recipe of the beer and the barrel should complement each other and neither one should be overpowering and it should always add something to the base beer, but without just like licking wood, you know? Yeah. Is there... When you're talking about laws and like 16 hours in between uh, losing its whiskey and getting beer, is there, I don't know, I haven't really thought about the proximity of barrel sources to breweries in the past. And it sort of got me thinking about fresh hop, wet, oh, wet hop season, which we're still kind of in right now, uh, yeah. or, or on the tail end of it at least, of you know, the brewers up in Yakima or close to hop farms, wherever in the country, like getting, getting it in and can it be, you know, minutes or hours or, you know, you know, 10 hours, whatever. Um, Is, is there something to be explored? Do you think about the location of barrel source and brewery? I guess there's something that can be, I don't know, uniquely created, specially created out of proximity. Um, I think so. Like, uh, Laws does this cool project, and there's a few breweries around town that have done it, where the brewery will get the used whiskey barrel and they'll age beer in it, and then when they're done, send it back to the distillery, and then the distillery ages another round of whiskey. So they just pass the barrel back and forth. And like, I, I can't see someone without a distillery right down the road being able to do that kind of project, you know. Um, yeah and yeah just the fresher you get a barrel the better it's going to be for beer too because like you know as the longer the barrels sit empty the drier the wood gets and then you have steam and rehydrate and if you can avoid any of those steps that are potential contamination risks that's always a good thing yeah i mean i know a lot of the time it's the I, I, I don't know, like the prominence of the uh, of the barrels where people want to say what distillery it's from, um, yeah. especially if it's like a really well-known uh, Kentucky operation. Um, but it almost strikes me that, you know, even a, a smaller distiller, if they're doing something locally nearby, that it's probably going to be better for the beer itself. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think on the consumer end too, like... I don't know about other cities, but I know for damn sure in Denver, people are very proud to be like hyper local shoppers and consumers. So personally, I I think it goes over better if we say like Laws Whiskey Barrel Aged versus like Maker's Mark Barrel Aged. Like our customer base is going to prefer the local.
We'll get back into the conversation in about 30 seconds, but first, a word of thanks to the sponsors who help keep the mics hot around here. NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And the best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mass viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brewhouse efficiency. Ultraflow Max from Novozymes helps you achieve both. Order a free sample today at brewingwithenzymes.com slash beer edge. And now back to best already of Ratio Beer Works in Denver, Colorado. So when you were at Wincoop, um, I, 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 earlier this week, I was uh, uh, visiting some some breweries uh, in, in my region here in the Northeast, and I visited a, you know, a couple of older places that have been around since the 1990s, um, sort of these, these more venerable places. And they're still turning out really good beer. And, you know, it's a fun place to visit and it hasn't really feel like it's changed all that much in the last uh, uh, in the last 20 or so years since I first walked in there. And I think about Wincoop in the same way. You know, I, I enjoy the beer like it walks in. It feels familiar. It sort of feels good. Um, but after a while, like consumer perceptions start to change. And there are in a lot of cases and I'm not saying this specifically about Wincoop, but there are in some cases um, brewers that say, OK, well, it's it works this way. So this is what we're just going to keep doing. And we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel or do anything else like that. And a brewer can either go along with that and be perfectly happy um, or try to grow and take up their career and continuously sort of, you know, push forward. Um, and when I think about having visited Wincoop and having visited ratio, they are different in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering for, for you and your career over the last 10 years, what has inspired you to make moves to, to grow? Is it innovation? Is it, I don't know. I mean, part of it is innovation. Um, yeah. And part of it is, you know, when my time was done at Wincoop, I'd like, we always joke that Wincoop is a launchpad brewery because so many brewers throughout the years have gone through that place and either opened their own or gotten jobs elsewhere. And so like, I knew going in there that I wasn't going to be there forever. And I was cool with that because it was a great spot to learn. I met phenomenal people there. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Um, and then I got the opportunity to help open a new brewery, and I wasn't sure if I was ready to be a head brewer yet, but there's only one way to find out. So I did it, and I crushed yeah. it. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the pandemic hit, and the owner decided to just not have a brewer anymore. So, sure. Um, yeah, and then again, thanks to Wingcoop, I landed at Ratio, because Jason's and Brennan, one of the founders and head brewer here, uh, worked at Wincoop like a year before I did. He left, so we knew all the same Wincoop people, and that's how we got introduced. And over the years, him and I had talked about me coming here at some point, and the timing finally just worked out. Um, so, is there a benefit though to like a Launchpad brewery, because especially one that has been around? And knows the ropes as well as a place like Wincoop. Because I'm thinking of like some other brewers that I've met in the last couple of years who have like interned or spent a little bit of time at a brewery that had itself only been open for, you know, six months or a year or whatever, yeah. um, you know, before they, you know, they leave to go open up their own place. And I don't know, it feels like you can kind of, it's going to be a different experience, but having a place that knows the mistakes not to make because uh -huh. they've been around for 20 plus years, it's probably <laughs> going to turn out better brewers than maybe places that, you know, still haven't even made you know, a quarter of their, the mistakes that they will in the course of their lifetime. Exactly. And that's like the wing coop family is what we call it. It's so big and so great. And like, we've all learned a ton there because it is like the generational learning too. Like, you know, the, head brewer in the 90s taught all these people and with the staggering of the staff and that was another place where it was a team 
usually of like three or four brewers on staff who all did everything. And then you have this generational knowledge that's been passed down how to not fuck shit up essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's why I am forever grateful that I was yeah. able to get my start there because I feel like I definitely learned a lot more, not necessarily what to do, but like you were saying, what not to do. Um, just from like the stories of mistakes that were made there that get passed around and passed down and stuff. Um, and I definitely feel it that made me a way better brewer than if I had just gone somewhere in its infancy that was still figuring it out. Um, I, uh, you know, I'd get there eventually, but just having that knowledge to pick from and learn from is definitely a lot different. And it's very, very cool. Yeah, no, I like I said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, And yeah, just the learning and the people I met, and you know, there's wing coop kids all around the country. And (laughs) I mean, thankfully, I've kind of stumbled into my two jobs since then. But I know on a resume, like nationwide, wing coop's gonna look better than brewery XYZ that opened in like 2019. You know. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the reasons that Wincoop is as well known as as it is is because every year um you know people in the beer world come into Denver for the Great American Beer Festival and for years and years and years you'd make the pilgrimage to Wincoop uh yeah. you used to go to Falling Rock um oh, you know all all RIP, I know. man. I know. Isn't that a so sad. It really is. Um it really is. I was out there that that week um uh, for the final week and just, uh, you know, being in there one last time was really special, but also just when I was out there, uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, not having it there, uh, it stung a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, it, yeah. yeah. Did, did you want to share your thoughts on falling rock? Were you about to launch into uh, a poetic? It just makes me so sad. And like, I feel lucky and blessed that like I still live in town. Like I still like last week I went to Epic for the big bad Baptist release and Chris and Beth were there and Paul and like a bunch of the old falling rock crew. I still get to see them. So I'm very lucky. Um, And while it hurts like that, that was my first regular date night spot when I turned 21 and stuff, I've been going there my entire drinking adult life and it hurts it hurts a lot but i am so insanely happy that chris finally gets a break and him and cheryl can just travel and relax yeah yeah i I care about them as humans more than i care about having that bar to go to i guess makes sense i dig it yeah yeah um but on the Wincoop front, though, everybody yeah. would come into town for, oh, God. you know, the Great American Beer Festival, which uh, was not held this year in its formal festival capacity, but awards, uh, but beers were judged and awards were handed out. And you were part of the ratio team that won gold in the golden or blonde ale category, which yeah. um, is not one that I often think about anymore. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's one of those, um, I mean, it's one that like brought the industry up over the last 40 years. Like it was a a staple of, of, of tap of, you know, of a tap tower at at any brewery, but I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't think about it all that much anymore, but clearly you guys do and do it really well. Right. Yeah. That was cool. And it was on my mind because the last place I worked at. I had a Blondale that was the first beer I ever brewed on that system. It was one of our top selling beers. It was just like 4.5% super light, dry, crushable beer. And, you know, talking with the team at Ratio and stuff, those are the kind of beers we want to drink. So like, let's focus on this. And actually the beer I had made at the Gnome advanced at JBF the two years I entered it. So when we were trying to pick categories this year, I made a suggestion about putting Domestica in a 
blonde category if we could get it finished just a touch drier. So we just adjusted the mash temp a little bit and got it where we wanted it and had our fingers crossed. And you know, that Wednesday, I think it was, it was at one point that we, cause we kept bottles from the bottling room for GABF submission of it. Okay. Yeah, I think the awards were announced that them. Friday the 10th. Yeah. yeah. So we were tasting them like as the judging was happening. Okay. You know, so we could know what the judges were tasting. And I remember Phil, the our lead brewer here, tasted it. It's just, it's way too hoppy. It's not going to do very good. I was like, well, well, we got this. Trust me. We got this. And then sure as shit, we did. <laughs> so... Yeah. I haven't had I haven't had the beer, but I am. What in your mind? So so what? Describe it like you know. Describe it for us of you know what this beer is and how it tastes and you know what goes into a a you know gold medal winning blonde ale because yeah. I'm sure now that everybody's listening to this, they're all going to start running out and we're we're going to start the blonde ale revolution <laughs> or the okay blonde ale resurgence. That. Yeah. Yeah. Summer cream ale's over, now it's the fall of blonde. It's fine. <laughs> um, it's a golden it's a golden autumn for everyone. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's beautiful. Get it on a uh, shirt, get it on the store. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Um Yeah, Domestica is the name of the beer. Um and it's been on tap at ratio pretty much since day one. It was Jason, the founder, head brewer, that's his pride and joy, his little baby. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's super simple grain bill, uh, two row and a little bit of some special teas, and then uh, um, just Hollertown and Saws with Cali Ale yeast. Um, yeah, with blonde ales, there's really not much to them. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those styles, like, just keep it simple, stupid kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, using more of those old school hops, I think, just lends itself well to the style. Um, do, yeah. do, you find, do you find that, like, is it still a gateway beer for the, or the style? Is that still a gateway for a lot of early drinkers? Or is it a tougher think- sell in, like, the land of hazies and pastry stouts and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, oh God. Uh, no, because I feel like I'm always the yeah. curmudgeon who's like, you know, kids today don't appreciate the classic styles. Oh, and, yeah, you know, that's totally they, me. All they know is Citroen Mosaic, you know? Yeah. And but, I'm old know. and fucking jaded like that too. I want like good, clean beer flavored beer, man. Yeah. Um, but, and I think there's still like a huge market for that. Um, and with beers like Domestica, or even cityscapes or Mexican lager, I feel like the best place for those beers is not like new as in young drinkers, but new as in new to craft drinkers. Like my uncle loves Corona. It's all he ever drinks. So I brought him a six pack of our Mexican lager and he actually like fell in love with it. And was like, I, I didn't know like, craft breweries made beers like this yeah 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 we do so like i think a lot of non-craft drinkers are just so intimidated um you know by the ipas by the hazies by the milkshake fruity bullshits um that beers like domestica are a good reminder like not all craft beers like that if you normally drink budweiser we got you covered yeah don't worry about it yeah so you were confident going into to GABF uh, and then you guys got the gold. The The winners were announced on uh, September 10th, I think this year. Uh, you have your celebratory parties. And then on September 12th, you took to social media and you wrote nothing like GABF slash CBC. I mean, in the Craft Brewers Conference, which was actually held in Denver uh, this year in lieu of GABF. Uh, nothing like GABF slash CBC to remind me just how misogynistic the beer industry is. Yeah. Um, you know, what it's happened? just. I mean, 
So most of the weekend was great. And then Sunday afternoon, a fellow brewer friend of mine and I went to my favorite neighborhood brewery, a lovely little place called Call to Arms. That does really great beer flavored beer. Yep. Um, and the only other guy at the bar was a brewer from like upstate New York. And as the conversation's going, we're like, oh, all three of us are brewers. Like, let's get chatting. And it was little things like talking over me for a bit. And then the metal thing came up because he was saying he didn't win this year. And my friend I was with was like, well, Bess's brewery actually won this year. And, you know, little things in between here and there. But then when the guy was getting ready to leave, he congratulated my friend five separate times on his medal. And every time my friend corrected him, was like, I didn't win. That was best. It's her medal. I didn't medal at all. And the guy never once congratulated me, even after my friend was correcting him. And she's good fucking God. Like, that was a little more of an extreme example. But, um, you know. Other little things, like some of our taproom staff just having some incidents throughout the week. Nothing super terrible, but just like, God damn. Get a bunch of old, old white or and younger, bunch of white dudes drunk in the same town. And it can be quite unpleasant for females. And I mean, you've chronicled this in the past and you've spoken about this before of not only experiences in the breweries um, but out in the consumer spaces and and certainly at festivals and um, you know festivals are starting to come back a little bit Um, seems like I'm getting emails more and more every week about new ones that are uh, either going to try to happen in the next couple weeks or uh, being slotted for 2022 Um, you know there's been conversations about code of conduct certainly um uh, and then, you know, also who should participate in, 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 in beer festivals if you know, the company has a good culture? Yes. If it doesn't, you know, maybe sit some out until you get your act together. Um, yeah. But there's so, there's so much more that can be discussed about, I don't know, how to have a festival where you or, you know, any woman or anybody um, walks away at the end of the day, at the end of the fest, you know, feeling bad, feeling shitty because somebody was bad or shitty. Um, Where do you think, let's just start with festivals, but I mean, what's it been like in the past and how how can some of these improve, do you think? Um, I mean, I've had really awesome times at festivals and I've had really terrible times and like being groped by either consumers or fellow brewers, things like that, um, which just will ruin anyone's evening, especially yeah. if it's a brewer you thought was a friend and they violate you like that. It's just, it's a really shitty day, you know? Um, but I think as far as festivals go, I do think having a code of conduct that every participating brewery has to agree to. Uh, I think having uh, just a higher security profile or at least like maybe volunteers from a women's nonprofit who can be like designated watchers kind of thing that if you're feeling uncomfortable, you can talk to just a not security guard, but a person who's been trusted with this to talk to the festival owners kind of thing. Um, And I think just you know, calling people out when you see that shitty behavior, um, which, you know, does fall more on the guys in the industry because dudes listen to other dudes. Um, They don't always, they often don't listen when women call them out on things because we're just old hags. What do we know? But if fellow dudes call out dudes when they're being shitty, that's going to make a huge change in the culture. So I'd like to see that. I challenge yeah. all you dudes to call out your friends when they're being shitty. Um, and they, I don't know, like, I don't, I feel maybe just for the people pouring, you hope that we would all be responsible adults, but we've, 
all worked festivals where we've had a little too much to drink. And I think maybe just anyone working the festival having to have a limit on their intake so they can one just not be a drunken idiot shitty yeah but also so they can help keep an eye out for the crowds and the consumers because you know if someone goes to a few festivals and they're made to feel unsafe multiple times they're probably going to stop going to festivals and maybe they're going to be put off on craft beer because of it you know yeah so we all just need to hold each other accountable and lift each other up and try try our best to make it an actual inclusive space instead of just saying it is yeah and hoping for the best but I think so much of it goes back to, and I'll take the consumers out of this for just a second, but like it goes back to, you know, overall brewery culture and taproom culture or whatever, because, you know, when you have somebody who uh, can't congratulate you on a well-deserved win, uh, presumably based on your gender, um, that's a larger problem that exists within the industry of, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's 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 not something that I've seen all that much uh, when I've when I've been out, but I, I'm certainly aware, uh, certainly now that it's happening more more than it does. Um, what have you seen, or have you seen anything that has worked to start to change internal culture of a brewery so that? You know, a place like you know wherever this was in upstate New York um, won't do that again. Have Have you seen good examples of people working towards meaningful change, or at least had conversations with folks who who have seen that? Um, yeah, I think. I mean the the rat magnet conversation Brianna definitely Allen, yeah. has sparked a lot of conversations and how do we move forward? How do we acknowledge this? How do we change this? I know uh, the women in the Denver brew scene, the ladies at Lady Justice kind of started and held the first event in the space where we can just meet up once a month and talk about it and try and figure it out and come up with ideas and do like let's all write the BA this month and see what the fuck they're doing about it kind of thing. Um, try and hold uh, our like industry leaders accountable and make sure they're holding people accountable. Um, on a personal level, years ago, I, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Um, one of my first coworkers at Wingcoop, he's a dear friend of mine. We actually went to a concert Friday night together. Um, but back in the day, he was just so confused why I was such an outspoken feminist and didn't understand why it was necessary. And so we started having those hard conversations and me explaining like that equality is very far away still and that women are not safe in this country around men. Um, and he, he actually took the time to listen and started like, finding some feminist podcasts and then, you know, paying attention when we would like go to Falling Rock after work or something and just be aware of how people interacted with me versus how they would interact with him or one of our other male coworkers. Um, and he took the time and did the work to truly look at it and understand and try and learn about it. And he is one of the fiercest allies I know at this point. And I think, you know, on an individual level, having those, like being open, unfortunately, I would like if women didn't have to bear the burden of the education of sexism, just like people of color shouldn't have to bear the burden of the education about racism and how it's very much an issue as well. Yeah. Um, but if you work with someone and you feel like they're open to actually learning and wanting to be a part of the solution and wanting to be better, maybe, maybe do take the time, maybe just send them some podcast recommendations. Maybe just like, you know, have having that shift beer, just 
dig deep in those conversations um because yeah it was it's only one guy but that guy now holds everyone he works with at the breweries he's been at since then he holds everyone to that standard of equality and accountability so it does make a difference even on just a one-on-one level there's been a lot of focus on some of the larger organizations uh out there and um you know places that have positioned themselves as uh leaders or institutions or whatever in in the beer space um when you've been writing letters when you've been uh, involved in the coordination and the outreach do you feel like you've been getting responses do you feel like you've been been heard honestly no no i feel like there's just a lot of industry leaders and organizations i feel like just want to say their little puff piece and hope this all goes away without doing any actionable change um and you know that's to be expected honestly change doesn't happen overnight this is going to be a years-long battle to try and get good solid change in our industry but you know, as I've said many times before, this is my chosen career. This is my chosen family, and I'm going to fight like hell to make it better. So I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah, I'm, I can I can get real annoying. So yeah, but, yeah that, that's how you get stuff done. <laughs> exactly. Change where, is hard. But. Where Where do you feel like the next? I know we're we're in the infancy of this. Um, yeah. You know, we're just out of the summer where this was, was this was very intense and there's um, new pressures coming up all the time and, and, and new veins of conversation that, it, that, it, that are being open. Um, in addition to calling out bad actors and looking for uh, meaningful change on, on, on that front, where, where do you see this dialogue headed? Where do you see this conversation uh, where the focus needs to be? Um, honestly, I feel... I just really hope that people at the ownership level are the ones taking note and taking the action. Um, like, don't be afraid to fire people if they suck. Like, they can be the best brewer in the world, but if they make your female staff or patrons uncomfortable, get them the fuck out of there. There's always going to yeah. be another brewer. Um, I, I honestly would really love to see as this keeps continues I would like to see the conversation also shift to focus on racism in the industry um, like yeah I, I just I almost in, in perfect little best head world it could all come at once but like it's also not fair each issue deserves its own time and its own space but i'm hoping with this instigation happening that those conversations are going to become a lot more frequent and prevalent as well yeah um because you know craft beer does tout itself as this awesome super inclusive industry and it's a bunch of bullshit so i i would like to see it become an actual inclusive industry on all fronts like not just women, but legit everybody. And I just, I don't know exactly how or why. And I know these conversations are slowly happening, but yeah, it, it's frustrating because, you know, change does take time, but it would be really cool too if we could just like burn it down, start over and get it right this time. Do you think that's what it's going to take? Yeah, like I said, I'm pretty fucking old and jaded. And the last few years have really worn on me, and I've always been kind of well, very outspoken and a little bit radical. So, yeah, I feel society as a whole, that should happen. But in beer, it, it, it's the same with both. Like, until the old dinosaurs die off and we can actually make good, legitimate change it's not going to change unless we do something aggressive. Yeah. And yeah. I think 
Breeze posting was definitely a start. I know, like, you know, quite a few people around the country lost their jobs because of that and lost their livelihoods. And yep. that's good. That's fantastic. Let's keep it going. And I think, um, you know, just breweries holding their people accountable, but also the flip side is, you know, if a brewery does have a staff member has had issues, but they're taking aggressive action steps to correct and change course, like that needs to be celebrated as well. Yeah, uh, I think just like straight up writing anyone in those stories off 100% is a little harsh. Some of it for sure. But we also need to allow humans to be human. And if they got it wrong to take the steps and try and correct and give them that grace, you know? Yeah. I know this is a conversation that is going to continue happening for, for, for quite a while. And I know we're, we're not going to solve the world's problems um, yeah. on this podcast right now. <laughs> Um, would be tight though. <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I mean, you know, I'm trying, but you know, girl can dream. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I ask you about the snack pocket? Yes. <laughs> We're going from from heavy to light. Um, I'm here for it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you have one of the uh, most enjoyable social media accounts. Uh, in beer because you know I, and everybody's got their own personality everybody does their own thing um, you know and sometimes it's you know here's a picture of our beer or here's a picture of you know our hops or, or you know people do goofy videos or, or things like that you wear overalls and in the front zipper pocket put snacks yes. and I <laughs> I want to know all about the snack pocket I mean, it's so dumb, but it brings me so much joy and it brings so many people so much joy. It does. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always, always been a huge fan of snacks. I'm the kind of person that's not good at like sitting and eating a meal. So I just constantly snack throughout the day. Um, and then, yeah, when I don't even remember why it dawned on me or when, because I, I was just keeping snacks in my overall pocket pretty regularly. And then, like, one of my coworkers made a comment one day about my snack pocket and how stuff just kept coming out because I kept, like, eating it and then restashing. And I don't know. I just, like, I posted the first picture on, like, my personal stuff. And I just started doing it somewhat regularly. And some just because it is dumb and fun and then it became a thing around work really anytime i remember one time our boss brought in a box of snickers ice cream bars and he handed it to me it was like snack pocket so of course like i shoved the box in the pocket it's like yeah it fits all right let's go whole box of ice cream bars um and yeah then i found out at one point the marketing and management at ratio in one of their marketing meetings thought it would be hilarious if I made a snack pocket account like okay if I have the full support of ownership at my job why not I'm if this counts towards my paycheck yeah (laughs) um so yeah the snack pocket has its own Instagram account now and you know it's just really dumb like I guess if if there was an end goal for Snack Pocket beyond bringing joy to people's day, because I oftentimes tag like the brand of snack it is, and so like oh, if so I start now, getting snack sponsorship endorsement deals, yeah, exactly. I'd be okay with that. I love snacks. All right, what makes an ideal snack for? Because I mean, this isn't a huge pocket, right? I mean, it's it's just a front okay. overall front overall pocket. Yeah. So it's not that um, deep. Maybe it's a little bit wide, but it's not that deep. Yeah. Um, so what makes what 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 is the best fitting snack for the snack pocket? I think a couple of my favorites. Um, I love the peanut butter filled pretzel bites. 
Okay. And they come in a little like baggy, so I can just have the bag open in the pocket and just like reach in and grab them. It's very yeah. handy. Um, I did that one time with a container of tater tots. That again, if I put in a plastic bag, it probably would have been better because I got some crumbs in the pocket. I was gonna say, uh, are you just you're, are you just putting like unpackaged food into, no, into no. your pockets. Okay. It's all packaged. Sometimes I stage the photo to where you can't see the plastic bag, like the bear okay. claw photo I did that with, but it was in a plastic bag in the pocket. Okay. Cause I get, um, that gets sticky pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm known for being a messy human anyway. So I try and negate as much as I can. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, are there really snacks that don't not- work in the pocket? Yeah, chocolate, man. Chocolate's bad. Anything okay. that can melt. Because, like, especially up on the brew deck and with the body heat, like, you just can't have it. But on the flip side of that, it's great for, like, leftover pizza. Get it nice and warmed up. <laughs> A little bit of that bo- that body heat uh, yeah. for leftover pizza. <laughs> I mean, in the past, like, I've been cool with cold pizza. <laughs> Uh, and certainly, you know, like the next morning or, um, you know, fresh pizza, like still a little bit gooey body temperature pizza. I'm not hundred percent sure how I feel about. I mean, I like things at room temp a lot, so it's just okay. a little warmer than room temp. Okay. <laughs> All right. You come on the show for the hard hitting questions. That's why I'm right. this is, um, um, all right, but when it comes to different overalls, then is there yes. a company that you've encountered so far that makes a better pocket over another? Um, and so like how much I, does material matter? It matters a bit because I only have Carhartts. Okay. And the more rigid material, it's harder to fit bigger snacks in. Okay. But like the pinstripe lightweight ones. It, there's enough give in the material, you can really stuff it full. Okay. So that's like my big snacks. My black pair is my like winter pair. And that's just gotta be like a snack. It's kind of sad. I can fit a box of the Hello Panda cookies in there. But I don't know what Hello it. Panda cookies are. Oh, they're great. They're from like Taiwan or Japan. Okay. Little shortbread cookies with like chocolate filling chocolate's my favorite i think they have strawberry like cookies and cream okay They're fantastic and that's actually a company that like reshared the snack pocket post but i tagged them in. all right so. final final snack pocket <laughs> question uh okay. and before i let you go uh what snack do you think would pair best with your golden ale with your blonde ale huh i Oh, okay. On the savory side, I would say sour cream and onion chips. And on the sweet side, I feel like the fudge stripe cookies. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You just said chocolate doesn't work, though. Come on. Well, as a pocket. pairing, not in the snack oh, pocket. As a pairing. Okay. Or you just All have right. like two and eat them really quick and refill it. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. <laughs> um, all right, so I've been ending the show for the last couple of weeks um, by prefacing by saying that, you know, when things were really grim, my wife and I started watching The Good Place again uh, on Netflix. And I don't know if you've seen the show or not. It's but, a great show. Okay, so, so you know how it ends. And um, there's the green doors that you can walk through to be anywhere at any time with anybody. Um, if such technology existed on this plane of existence and there is a green door to your left at the brewery uh, when you ended this conversation and you could walk through, where would you want it to take you and who would you want to be with? Sorry, what was the second part of that? Like if there was a green door and you could walk into a pub anywhere, uh, where would you want the pub to be and who would you want to be drinking with? Oh, oh, that's tough one. I feel I'd want to go to London, especially you said pub. Like, of course, we're going to the UK. I love cask beer. Like, it's on my hit list. Okay. Um, Yeah. 
I feel like I would love to have a beer with Betty White. I bet that broad's got stories for days. Cascale in London with Betty White. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm okay with that. All right. Bring a recorder with you when that happens and, uh, okay. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll post it up. Um, hey, thanks for taking the time this week and, yeah. and sitting down the show and, you know, going through all of the, the wide range of stuff and, um, you know, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. The Blondale conversation had me thinking, what's a style that doesn't get the respect it deserves or has shrunk from taps and shelves that you'd like to see make a resurgence? Email me and tell me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can always talk with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And Beer Edge is, of course, on social media at The Beer Edge. And if you love smoked beers, and of course you do, a reminder to check out the This Week in Rauk Beer group on Facebook, or you can follow along on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And if you're interested in advertising, please reach out to Liz Melby at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll let you know all of the information about our surprisingly affordable rates. And speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. And the best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mash viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brewhouse efficiency. Ultra Flomax from Novozymes helps you achieve both. It's time to brew with enzymes, increase your brew house efficiency, and achieve faster filtration today with Ultra Flomax. Order a free sample today at brewingwithenzymes.com slash beeredge. And one last reminder to go to beeredge.com to see all that we have going on and to check out the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. And as for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.